I'm Ryan Johnson. I'm Tyler Schmidt. I'm Lou Janu. And this is Car Talk, a podcast about trading cards. We're here to teach you everything you need to know about flipping cards. Whether it's the next breakout rookie, a new Magic the Gathering release on the way, or Pokemon's 25th anniversary, we'll break it all down. So sit back and listen up. Those cards collecting dust in your closet could make you some real cash. Welcome to Card Talk. All right, guys, welcome back to Card Talk. Ryan here, joined by my awesome co-host Tyler and Lou. This Hello. is episode five. Big, uh, big show today. Got a lot to talk about. Going to get into some relevant discussions here, uh, recent discussions in the in the hobby about a potential eighty five hundred dollar Toy Story sticker set. Uh, investing in wax and the potential with alternative investments other than. You know, sports cards, PSA 10 grades, uh, stuff like that. Have an awesome interview with Jeremy Padauer today. We're going to answer a question about what we invest percentage-wise in long-term versus short-term holds between the three of us. And then we'll look at some upcoming releases for product for this week. So lots to talk about today, but Lou, I will let... uh, let you start it off here with uh, your story with uh, $8,500 Toy Story sticker set. I'm, yep. I'm dying to know more. Before yep. we go into the Toy Story sticker set, I just I just got a notification on my phone. Oh, gosh. Two Michael Porter Juniors uh, just sold. Currently, there's two minutes left in the first half of the Denver Nuggets game. He has 20 points and nine rebounds. My man is on fire. Take it away, Lou. Thank you. Um, okay, so um, on Friday... Uh, Panini released a welcome back to the bubble set uh, on their website. And essentially what that was, was uh, Ryan, how many cards was it again? It was like 20, 22 cards. Oh, I honestly, I don't know how many cards. All right, fine. So there was a set that released on Panini. Welcome back to the bubble. Inside of that set, there was potential one-on-ones, potential autograph cards, relic cards, et cetera. Um, and that was around, I want to say it was 250. Um, and I think it was 249. 249. Yeah. And what's yep. been going on recently is cards have exploded. There's, uh, a lot of bots that are auto pulling from the site, trying to buy things from the site uh, to make sure they get the best releases. Um, what happened was th- those uh, Welcome Back to the Bubble set re- released, sold out pretty much immediately. Um, and then what Panini did, it's unclear whether this was on purpose or not, but what they did was they listed an $8,000 Toy Story sticker set uh, at the same URL. So what that means is those bots that were pulling for the Welcome back to the bubble set. Started pulling and purchasing uh, an eight thousand dollar Toy Story set. That's it's brilliant. It's amazing. It's tough for two reasons. One, it's tough for if you're if you're a bot user, it's tough because they have no refunds, and it's also tough yeah. because now you're sitting on a bunch of Toy Story stickers, which is funny. Yeah. I love Toy Story. And go ahead, Ty. Why why is that a W? Well, it it gives me it gives me Elon Musk selling like short satin shorts vibes of just mm-hmm. like the the it's it's playing the game like okay you're a consumer and you think you're going to outsmart this business great right but then the business says okay two can tango and i'm going to punch you right back in the mouth and then you bitch about it and so to me it just speaks of 2020 vibes and the internet and like people like operate on the side and think they can outsmart everyone and then when they get outsmart they crawl into a hole and cry about it and to me it's like cool and don't run a bot I think this is great if if, uh, if you would – like Lou said, if, if it is intentional, you would assume it's intentional. It was definitely but, intentional, by the way. I'm pretty sure, but yeah. But it that would definitely let you know that Panini's definitely listening to the consumer here. Uh, with with what we're talking about, this like instant release, this is all through like Panini's website. It's very similar to how you would buy first off the line boxes um, in the past. Again, a lot of it was basically you had a bot. You, people got lots and lots of product, and you could do very, very well on some of those releases before Panini switched to, to Dutch auction. I mean, potential to make thousands of dollars in that. And I think this is great because I, I think if you get burned once for $8,500, your chances of using the bot again probably drop dramatically. And I think that's key in this. That That's definitely, you would assume... A good amount of people that use bots are going to stop using bots if there's a potential to get charged eighty five hundred dollars here. They'll stop using them. The bots will update, and then the yep. bots will be better They'll than the website it. again. But in the meantime, like it's 
I'm pumped as someone who doesn't have a bot and goes on the Panini website <laughs> from their phone and tries to check out things and can't win, right? Like, that's a W. I appreciate that from Panini if it happened on purpose. I appreciate it regardless because I love a good troll. Um, but yeah. that's a, that's a, I mean, great troll. $8,500. It shows that they're consumer centric and they're listening. They're aware. And I think for the grand scheme of anyone in the hobby, that's exciting to hear. Yep. Aligned. Yeah. I think that's that's a that's a big win for for the hobby for sure. Uh, but the next thing I want to get into is I got a text this morning um, from another card store friend that uh, it was a screenshot of 2019 2020 uh, Prism basketball retail box, and it was a screenshot from December 30th, and it was online. It was on BlowoutCards.com. And it was $144.99. Those boxes as of this morning, and Tyler, if you want to go ahead and pull it up, mm-hmm. but I believe those boxes, yep, are $774. So a uh, pretty substantial jump, you know, 600 plus in eight months. And I think I know, again, being in a card store and seeing how hot wax is recently, I've definitely seen it. But I just want to kind of get your guys's, uh, I want to discuss it with you guys, as I know uh, you two don't deal in it as much mm-hmm. at the moment, mm-hmm. but how ba- or how wax, and we, when we say wax, we're meaning unopened boxes of cards. I think that's important here. Yep, sealed that, product. Yep. Yep. Sealed product with packs inside, typically a pack, multiple packs, whatever. Um, but as an alternative investment to singles and why it, uh, in, the, in these situations recently have... Uh, have really shown to be a great alternative yeah. rather than buying singles. So there's a lot of things that, that play through my head. And, and shortly after we kind of go through this combo, I'm just going to drill into you, Raya, like the different levels of product from a blaster that you can pick up at Target to a case that you can get direct from a distributor to a hobby box and, and that. But you're seeing a lot of different factors at play that you're seeing throughout the entire market, which is just Demand continues to go crazy, which is going to affect all things in an upward trend. It's not lost on me that in a in a frothy and great market, it's easier to have these conversations. And when the thing is collapsing, it's a lot harder, right? Right now we are in that, but there's two ways you can look at it. You can either ride the wave or you can be a skeptic and be like, well, uh, and then miss the boat. But from the the sealed wax thing, there's a lot that's happening. One. To my understanding, the rise in breakers is growing by the day. And there's a real market in buying sealed wax and then opening it for an audience that pays for slots. You do it, Ryan. And you could speak firsthand that even when we started this show five weeks ago, there's way more people that are offering breaks, which means that there's yep. more demand for these products. Even and then if you go back ten weeks because we recorded about four or five pilots, like this stuff has gone much crazier. Um, it's you know it, it's pretty much modern day blackjack for us degenerate guys. Two, parents are getting their the kids are getting back into it. So the best way that an, a parent that has a, a a guy that has a, two sons, seven and ten, who grew up opening wax the way that they get their kid into it is not buying them a single graded zion because to the kid that's not the excitement to the kid it's opening the pack and maybe they're a thunder fan and maybe the fourth guy on the thunder has a card in there and they're just equally as pumped so there's way more demand there that's happening and then three the unknown and what's happening with the sports went away and then especially in basketball right now it went away for so long, and now in a world where we're going back in a bubble, they're playing in the same gym all the time. Offense is going to be going through the roof. There's a lot of discovery of these new guys, and there's these high volatility in the markets. So what you've said is there's however many rookies, 40 rookies in the league, and in one of these boxes, there there's a rookie card for all of them. And on the date of release, certain guy, Tyler Hero, maybe wasn't seen as the the price that he is now so if you're sitting on it still sealed the value of tyler hero has exponentially gone up so you might be sitting on a tyler hero silver in there which on day one wasn't worth nearly as much as it is now and so the total collective value of the cards in there 
are much higher than the box in and of itself. So all those factors together have really, I think, equated to this explosion in sealed wax. And it's going to be very interesting to see because I think even in breaker culture, I think we're still very early on from one, a tech infrastructure standpoint, I think two, from a, a culturally relevant, like, like who is going to be the breakout, who's going to be the Scott Rogowski of breaking that's just going to come in and eat the whole thing up because everyone wants to just spend time with that person, right? Right now, there's a lot of like, oh, this person's hot. Right. Even, you know, right. It's like, oh, I'm ripping like it's hot right now. But who's going to exponentially be the entertaining factor that everyone on Friday night wants to hang with that's going to do that? I think that'll explode in breaking. But then also new product. I think Mosaic, all of a sudden the market accepted Mosaic, which is Panini's kind of newer basketball product, maybe a lot more favorably than people would have thought on day one. So there's a lot more new product innovations coming out. The market's going to be the market. We're going to see who respond, what product responds the best, and some are going to fall flat. Lou, I'd love to, and we can, would love to hear your thoughts. But while you're at it too, maybe talk a little bit about the darkness of Blaze and just kind of the variations, not even out yet, but of where like it was hot and maybe it's not as hot because there's something in it. A couple streamers are going to rip it on stream. All of a sudden, boom, it goes. So yeah, we'd love, we'd love your thoughts there. But for me, I see it going further. Now it's in these companies' interests to keep producing to catch up to it. So there's going to reach an equilibrium at some point, but you know, the rookie class this year is crazier than coming in next year. But again, LaMelo ball all of a sudden, you know, becomes super hot 20 games in again, wax is going to, that wax is going to go up. So. Yeah. I, I, I get it on the wax stuff. Like it's going up and all that things of that nature. But as a person who's just buying a box of cards, I get worried about it from a place of like, at what point is a retail box at $750 like A, not a good investment and B, not fun to purchase because I don't know. I don't know. Like if I'm trying to buy that yeah. box to sell it, right? Yeah. And what's, I think we need to be careful about on that in, investing, right? Like too, like we're talking largely about gambling. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. Like you're when you that open it, you're box, you're going to be like, right. You tell me, I feel like you'd be pumped if you got to like 250 in value on that. Unless you're pulling a Zion or a Jaw out of there or a hero at this point, like you're not going to make that much money on that box. Yeah, so there's there's a lot to get into with this, and I love where this is going. But like, I think the interesting point here, and it's something to point out, is there's two things. One, the MSRP, the suggested retail price of that box, is seventy two dollars. Mm-hmm. Those are two dollar and ninety nine cent retail packs you would find at Walmart or Target. So the, the when Panini makes those boxes, they don't make them to be $775. That is very important to know here is that they're producing those those cards to be $2.99. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the variable in that is you hit a Zion-based rookie, it now sells for $2.250, PSA 10s are $800. So that's where that comes in. You hit a Zion Silver. The, the potential is there, but they're not yeah. made to be $775 and, boxes. And these markets exist everywhere. I want to be clear, when we pulled out blowout cards, that's a third-party reseller, right? My aunt and uncle own a, a liquor store. You know, Pappy Van Winkle or um, Hetty Topper, the beer, when they're produced, is not produced to be a $20 can of beer. In, in the local where, where, you can, where they make them and there's more supply, they're selling at MSRP. But to get them in LA, if you're in the craft beer like following, people are willing to pay thirty bucks a can just to get it shipped into them. So this isn't a new phenomenon. The market is telling what the market is, and and then also let's remind of over the last four months, again as a twenty nine year old male that has spent a lot of time in casinos and been on eight hour sessions of playing blackjack. Like when you step into a casino, when you walk in the door the odds are that you're losing money. So there's no difference in buying a box on a Friday night to rip with a, like, this is deep human nature. And I think a lot of more of that is happening in opening wax too. But I think we're getting away from the point here that like no one's saying to open it. Yeah, I'm saying to buy it, to hold it. So, and I'm also not saying- I'm saying we're talking about the values of why it's getting higher. Sure, but 
the, the average consumer in the market right now is not ripping that at $775. Breakers are ripping it at $850. Yeah. So the breakers are making the money because you're paying a fraction of the cost to get in. So you're going to pay $25 for one in 30 shot at Zion. You're going to get a team. You're going to get the cards for that team. And you'd be willing to risk $25 for a shot at a huge Zion that could you know give you a, a good amount of money. I think the interesting play here is can you see a trend in the market when it first starts? When Mosaic Basketball came out, blasters were everywhere. They got started in Walmart. They were in Target. They were in Meyer. They were all over any social media account. They were all over eBay. They were everywhere. They were $45 a piece. I bought a, a good amount of them. I, I was very open about that. I was buying them all over my Instagram page. At the same time I was buying those at $45, NBA Hoops was $90 a blaster. There's no reason NBA Hoops Blasters should be 180 when Mosaic, which has cards out of 10, cards out of 15, cards out of 25, Genesis Parallels in a retail format, should be less than NBA Hoops. So if you can see a trend in the market there, that has potential to be a play long term. I'm not sure 775 makes sense to hold now for six months. It might. We might look back at this and laugh when it's $1,000 a box. And you could have made something. But I definitely think, if you're asking me, I genuinely believe the wax is the safer play versus the singles. We, you mentioned Zion PSA 10 is not fun. I, we talked about this off camera about 2018 contenders with Baker. If you bought 2018 wax thinking, you know, Baker Mayfield is going to be the big thing. He was huge going into last year. The Browns got a lot. Mm-hmm. If you bought it and sat on it at those prices and Baker went down, you're like, man, Baker went down, but then Lamar Jackson comes out of nowhere, wins league MVP. You have the entire class in a basket in a football product or a basketball product rather than investing in one individual player. So I think it's a sneaky, a sneaky alternative there where you're 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 alleviating some of your risk by investing in the whole class rather than just one person. That's a great point. And yeah. the value, like a lot of these chase cards, every time another box is opened. The value, even if it's percentage of a penny, should go up, right? Because there's less in circulation. They're not printing these products infinitely. There's a set amount of product that's printed. So if the if a one of one Zion has yet to be pulled, every time one gets open and isn't in there, the value should go up, because that means that there is now more of a chance of it, of that card being in that box. Yep. I completely agree with you guys. Wax is a hundred percent a safer play than opening up, like than buying a single because you're betting on a player rather than the whole class, like you were saying, Ryan. But what I was getting at on just on the other side of the coin is like, just because you buy a seven hundred seven seven hundred and seventy five dollar box doesn't mean you're going to get seven hundred and seventy five dollars of value, which is the bare minimum Absolutely. you need to break it even on that box. Yep, anyway, yep. on the Pokemon side, th- then this gets into what I'm saying right now. By the way, because I'm gonna I'm, I'm about to talk about how I. I'm not getting punked, but I'm not getting what I thought I was going to get out of a Darkness of Blaze. So I bought a case of Darkness of Blaze in uh, May, a pre-order box. And what and what is Darkness of Darkness Blaze? Darkness of Blaze is the newest Pokemon release. There's pre-release boxes in circulation now. If you go on Leon's YouTube, our boy was on a couple of weeks ago. He was breaking open a couple packs. Um, but Darkness of Blaze is the newest Pokemon release. It's part of the Sword and Shield collection, which is a Pokemon term that we can get into on, on a different day. Uh, but Part of that set, the hype around it was there was going to be a new uh, Charizard, a secret rare Charizard, which is, again is another Pokemon term for there's different levels of Pokemon. There's base, there's not VMAX, there's secret rare, things of that nature. So there's supposed to be a secret rare in this pack, which is going to, in this release, which is going to be kind of like a Hidden Fates-esque. Shiny art. Yeah, mark, like in terms of value that it was going to bring. Uh, and Hidden set. Fates is another Pokemon release. Hidden Fates, another Pokemon release, was another Charizard. Uh, so in, it Turns out that people are now coming to the conclusion that there is not going to be a secret rare inside of that, a secret rare Charizard inside of that box. There's still a VMAX. The VMAX is sell for like 200 bucks right now, raw, uh, on eBay, which is still a really good amount for a $100 box of cards, uh, MSRP, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I bought that box assuming that, that case, assuming that I was going to be able to make some good returns on there if I wanted to flip it in the, the next two weeks, but I'm not sure I'm going to see that right now. And just a lot as i listen to you a lot of different things playing through my head because i'm like equating a lot to these conversations i've had over the year of working in the liquor store and it's like oh 
this product is coming out, this new craft beer is coming out, mm -hmm. how many are we going to be able to get? Because they have to control the supply. So Ryan, you as a as a shop owner too, you work with distributors. Like certain product, you want to get as much as you can, but they also need to cap it because of they need to fulfill all their orders and they short print them. Back to the panini becoming super, uh, uh, becoming consumer centric. Like these aren't just robotic things. So what could happen is the Charizard uh, the. Pokemon thing comes out. I don't know the rules. I don't want to speak out of turn around disclosure of checklists. But like what could happen is all of a sudden Tim the Tapman or some of these guys start streaming uh opening packs and all of a sudden there is something that is super rare that no one expected and the the hobby picks up on it and it becomes like the what what was it? Was it Cal Ripken Jr. or his brother yeah. who had Miller, the thing Billy Ripken that, who, Fleer card. who had it written on the the bottom of the bat like yeah. all of a sudden that becomes a thing in the hobby and then boom and then if you're sitting on wax now you're feeling pretty good you're feeling pretty good yeah so those are just a lot of different factors and before we move to the next subject just I'd love to do some some education, just some like terminology stuff that could geeks me out so much that we can clip and, and do for social of Ryan, like the tears of like buying a case, what's a hobby box, a blaster, and then a little bit of like first off the line. What what is a first off the line compared to a hobby box? And how do Panini or Tops or uh Upper Deck kind of load and put different inserts into these products so that why is it first when when i'm tyler and this is day one me getting into cards and i go on ebay and it's first off the line prism versus hobby prism versus blaster pack and they're all different prices and i'm like why what this doesn't make sense explain that to me a little bit yeah so first off the line is a kind of an extension that panini did relatively recently three i think it started in like 2017 2018 but essentially what it is is it's essentially meant to be like the first off the line of that product so what they'll do is they'll like i can use national treasures basketball as a good example so national treasures basketball had a first off the line this year what they'll do is they'll put some sort of guarantee in that box that's different and something you can't pull out of a normal hobby box so with National Treasures Basketball, you are guaranteed one rookie patch autograph numbered out of 30 or out of three. And those are exclusive to that first off the line product. So in regular first off the, or regular National Treasures Basketball, you can pull rookie patch autos out of like 99, out of 25, you know, 10, et cetera. But you can't pull the out of 30 and out the uh, out of three. That makes that product very nice if you're guaranteed a shot at one of the rookie patch autos out of 30 or out of three, because in regular National Treasures basketball, the hobby product, you're not guaranteed any of them. So the guarantee makes that product very nice. So for instance, National Treasures basketball hobby box right now sells for about $4,500. First off the line is about $14,000. So that guarantee is an incentive to rip that with increased shots, uh, knowing that you have something there. Uh, in terms of like blaster, mega boxes, hanger packs, cello packs, those types of things, those are those are retail products, right? Those are typically found in a Walmart, in a Target, um, some sort of retail uh, distribution like that. Um, card stores are able to purchase them. You know, I know I have a retail supplier. Many card stores across the country have retail suppliers where you have access to certain products, there are also certain products, for instance, uh, Bowman Mega Boxes, which are very popular. Those are Target exclusive. Mm. Hard stores cannot get those. Walmart cannot get those. Those are Target exclusive. Uh, so there's a really a lot that goes on with retail. Yeah, and the reason they do that, and again, this knowledge I think is important to the consumer or the hobbyist, because once you start to understand why or how these things work, you can then use that information to your advantage. The reason that Panini or in Upper Deck or Tops wants to create these different variations is because for they want to make sure Target continues to buy their product. And they need to make sure that there's, Target's able to sell that product. And if they put out the same exact product across the entire ecosystem, people are going to start either cutting their margins to make the sales. But if they make a product that is exclusive to Target, a hobbyist has to walk into Target to buy it. 
and which is going to lead to better sell through. Right. So that's why they create some of these chases as well. And you can find different arbitrage opportunities, go to target and you can only get it there. So if you know when target typically is doing restocks or stuff like that, like all these little nuggets of data can help you have an advantage over the market. No different than if you're day trading and and see different indicators or you you're a vc and you have a specific strategic you know approach and and it's working really well so all of these things are are just to me more information and education for hobbyists or people that see this as an alternative investment class uh or people that just want to have fun too yeah and i also think when you're like i know bowman off the top of my head i'm sure it's like this for mba stuff as well but like a mega box has a specific parallel. If you're buying a hobby box, it has the three autos, and it's going to come with more a, a jumbo hobby box and come with more autos, but less chromes, and a regular hobby box with more chrome because there's less autos. So, like they stack different products with different things to in, in, uh, to make you want to buy a certain product, basically. So, like I know if I'm looking for just Bowman first chromes, I'm actually going to go buy retail boxes because there's more of those in there anyway. And I think we can break down a lot more of this. I know we have to move on, but I think this is some good stuff. We can uh, we can bring this to social. So if yeah. someone wants to uh, ask any questions about different formats here, they can always reach out to us on social. It's a card talk pod. Yep. So we uh, we're now going to move over to an interview with uh, a good buddy, um, someone that's deep in in the Pokemon game, but also has been deep in collectibles, market arbitrage. To me, this was a very educational based conversation, very focused on you know, the macroeconomics that lead to a market expansion like this, how you can take advantage of it, the signals that you can be paying attention to and looking for, and then how they can equate across a lot of different markets, whether it be comic books. Another thing that's bubbling on the side is sealed vintage video games, whether it be sealed, uh, sealed Pokemon Red, you know, Game Boy, uh, some of the N64 releases that they did. So we talked in this, it was a lot about the, the, the capsule or the framework to deploy as you as you go into different investment strategies so excited this is jeremy padauer uh take it away jeremy introduce yourself hey yeah i'm jeremy padauer i'm uh gosh a long time collector and uh, i've been in the toy business for the last 20 years prior to that domain name business and all the kinds of schooling and was a kid collector and the whole nine. I think we'll get into all of that today. We're going to get into it heavy. Um, so yeah, like real quick on your background. So yeah. from what I understand, you were a lawyer, you were yeah. doing your thing and you happened to purchase a website or you bought, you bought, bought a bunch of websites. Yeah. So back in 96, um, I was a first year law student and I sucked at it. I really was bad. <laughs> like, like the first day I showed up, I realized, man, why am I doing this? Of course, I finished because I was paying for it with my own student <laughs> loans. But I decided, you know what? I've got these student loans and I've got to figure out a way to get through this with minimal debt. And I'm watching one night the show uh, just randomly where this lady's like, I make money selling advertising online. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so I learned a little bit of source code and I cheated Yahoo. I gamed Yahoo. I, I literally created a series of websites with two or three A's that all had to do with collecting, Beanie Babies, Furby, et cetera. And because I had two ways, I showed up categorically first in every one of their search engines because there was no algorithm. It was simply a phone book called Yahoo. It was the Yahoo phone book. So after about six months, I had like 20,000 people a day coming through. And I was like, wow. And I had Amazon.com as a, you know, affiliate sponsor and Disney Blast program and all these different programs. And I took that money and I started buying domain names with that and some student loans and uh, picked it. up some amazing names. Unreal. Jeremy, something that I was so pumped to have you on here and, and talk about. And as a newer collector, as a newer hobbyist in the card world, I think something that I am trying to both learn but also educate to others is it's really about a framework that can be applied across a lot of different verticals. And whether you want to con- call it being an entrepreneur or your own businessman or doing things a little bit different. It seems that there's a theme through starting, you know, okay, I have to pay off my student loans. How am I going to go and do that on my own accord from websites to your whole journey up to now cards, Pokemon, toys, flipping nature. I'd love to just hear a little bit from you about how you kind of got that inspiration and what are some immediate 
quick things that listeners can do to say, okay, let me buck this trend of either go to school, get the nine to five job, get married, have kids, buy a house, do the thing to, hey, here's a couple unlocks. Here's some things that you can think about to take your passion, take something you enjoy. And it doesn't need to be make a million dollars, but make a little bit of side money to help help with what's going on in terms of society and just putting people into a box a little bit. Yeah. No, I love that question. So listen, I think, I think for me, what I've found in the collector community, at least, is that it's all about the hustle. It's all about being like figuring out, targeting exactly where you want to be and understanding why, and then zero casting into it. But for me, I think also a lot of people relate to this. I felt like a serious outsider. I was a Jewish kid growing up in Mississippi and Tennessee. There were no Jewish kids. I was the kid, okay? And as long as people didn't know it, it was cool. I was kind of in. But the second they found out in Mississippi I was a Jewish kid, I was out. So it was up to me to try to figure out during my course of life how to be an insider instead of an outsider. I just happened to fall into collecting because I had a nature for it. I loved it. From the earliest times, I collected things. When I was a little tiny kid, you know, I found value in getting a 1952 Topps wrapper. Like this is the first wrapper in tops. I paid 10 bucks for it. I think today they're like four or $500 or like the first issue of sports illustrated. Like again, as a little tiny kid getting an allowance and just knowing, gosh, you know what? That's a great magazine. I wish I had the first one. Now it's in terrible condition, but that's beyond the point. The point is I felt like an insider. I was part of something bigger. And the more social media has come in and the more social media has embraced collecting, it's given people the power to be an insider, whether they have a big collection or whether they have a couple things. Again, this is all about being part of something bigger, right? And if you're a kid in Mississippi or you are in any way, shape or form alienated, there are opportunities to be a part of something. And that's what to me collecting has been all about. And yes, you know what? I've turned it into a career. I've turned it into a passion. But I will tell you, if, you're a, if you are a collector out there, if you've got a collector mentality, because collecting is about a mentality. It's not about what you have. If you've got the mentality and you identify opportunities and then dive into those opportunities, the nuance is definitely different now in terms of collecting. Because if you go online, everything is at your fingertips, basically. So what I focus on as a collector is the highest grade, lowest population items that I can possibly find. And anything that's historically relevant within a brand. So for instance, with Pokemon, right? A lot of people, including me, went after the 1999 first edition Shadowless base set, right? It is the granddaddy of all the sets. Or you would think, right? Because that's the first one in the English market. And I, I, so I bought one of the 11 registered PSA, all PSA 10 sets. Dude, it's up 50% in like a month and a half since it's I got amazing. it. You know why? Because I saw the opportunity. I saw that the individual cards were selling for way more than the entire set. So what I'm doing now is I'm doing stuff like focusing on, let's go back further. Let's go back to the original launch of Pokemon in 1995 in Japan. And I'm picking up like one of 10, one of 15 cards. This is original. This is the very first Charizard. This is the never first card in a hollow foil in 1995. Top Sun. Not, not, we're not talking about Pokemon. We're not talking about Bandai. We're not talking about it. We're talking about Top Sun launched this. And then there's some, again, this is it in a 10 with a, a green back. And then a rarer version, which is the blue back in a 10. So I believe this is a 16 or one of 16. Forgive me if you're getting a. That is beautiful. And, then and, and for everyone just listening, he's showing a couple of pre net we, we've talked a lot of pokemon 1999 game first edition as kind of like the grail set where to yeah. start what jeremy's showing is some pre stuff if you really dive in and and again like get educated get educated get educated this is pre that if the the brand first released in japan and these are some pre wizards of the coast prints non-us based to go deeper again Supply and demand game, supply and demand game. You got right? it. And that's, and that's part of the deal. Again, nuance, right? So I look at the 1999 base set and I say, okay, what's the most valuable card? Charizard. Much the way someone may have taken a look at the 1952 top set and said, what's the most valuable card? Mickey Mantle. Well, Mickey Mantle PSA 10 today is a $15 million card. Guess what? 20 years ago, it was $100,000. So when I look at the 52 tops, and I go, well, what, what's the 1951 Bowman Mantle worth now? It's a several million dollar card. It's never going to be the 52, 
But and that's the way I look at this stuff. I say, you know what? The 99 Charizard first edition Shadowless is through the roof. It's going to keep going, by the way. Mm -hmm. But then I look and I say, okay, well, what happened before? And so this is actually the rarest in the very, very, very first because it's a no number top sun 1999 PSA 9, highest grade. There's only eight of these in the world. And so, okay, without, without doing more show and tell right now, the point is the nuance is still there if you look for it. Mm -hmm. You have to start drawing a little bit. You have to rely on your macroeconomic mind a little bit and say, yeah. if A is plus one equals B. And, and then you have to go to B and say, okay, what is B? B is what happened before. And it, you can look at that in any market period. You yeah. know what? If it's baseball, maybe there was a minor league set somewhere where Griffey Jr.'s minor league card selling for 120th of the Bowman Tiffany card or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. Look for the nuance. And then make smart decisions and look around and see if other people, if you need a gut check, look around and see if other people are doing it too. Because you, might, you might not want to pay 10 grand for the Griffey Jr., but you might want to pay $500 for the, for the minor league PSA 10 card. Yep. And that's such, that's such great advice, Jeremy. That happens all the time in the sports card market. I don't do as much of the Pokemon as, as Lou and Tyler, but you see that all the time in the sports card market with LeBron James, Topps Chrome, PSA 10 skyrocketing. The LeBron Tops will go up. The LeBron oh, Bowman yeah. Chrome will go up. Eventually what happens is the average collector can't afford the top dollar yeah, one. Yeah. So the other, the other second best, third best, fourth best, those cards start to rise because yeah. the, the, the one gets so expensive, not everyone can afford that. So yeah, that's such a, that's such a great piece of advice. But Jeremy, when did you, uh, when did you really start getting into like the Pokemon card market? Recent. I mean, so I got involved with Pokemon in, in 2006 Early. when we took over their toy business. Uh, it was with Hasbro prior and then uh, had the opportunity. I was an executive in a company before I started a company, before I was involved with the startup. Um, and uh, so at that time, what I will tell you is the, the PSA 10 set was like three or $4,000, right? And I, I, and I knew. I was like, gosh, one day this is going to be relevant because in 1999, this thing sold billions of dollars in product. I know this is going to be relevant to those kids when they grow up. And then I sort of tabled that for the next 13 years like an idiot. And, uh, and so I'm late to the game. I mean, I'm, I'm really late to the game, but I really, I look at it and I, here's my mentality. Okay. And I look at this on almost any collector business there is Pokemon 1999 came to the U S market. All right. The average kid at the time was between six and 10 years old. Okay. So that kid was born between 1989 and call it 1995. So that kid today is 25 to 30 years old. All right. Well, in economics, there's a concept of high valued consumer and it's like a triangle. OK. And the tip of the triangle is where the most money is in any possible mechanism, in any possible collector. OK. Today, that 25 to 30 year old only has so many people that fall into that highest valued consumer. But you wait 15 years when they're 45 like me, like old and still have amazing hair and teeth. And that's by the way, <laughs> that's the last thing that you can hold on to because the face just goes. So you guys are the doing teeth well. do look good though. The teeth, teeth, look, amazing. Amazing. The teeth do look good. Come on, you gotta, you gotta hold on to whatever you can hold on to. It's in the nuance, right? So I can't <laughs> I can't have the 99 Charizard face, but I have the 95 and I'm good. I have the 95 <laughs> no, but but back, you know, look, back to what I was saying. The the bottom line is that you listen you can you can absolutely find the the niche and you can find the opportunities and and uh and frankly speaking now i've completely forgotten what i was talking about before yeah i, <laughs> I just keep going back to the applicable the applicable nature of like this is this is economics this is yes, business economics. This is supply and demand Perfect. and this can something i uh, uh going on obviously coronavirus what's going on right now like at home gardening like it's all it's all possible. And I think yeah. it's, we're starting to see it explode. And a lot of what you're talking about, these fundamentals can be applied to any passion. hundred percent. And so now you've got, again, these 30 year olds who have access to money, access to influencing people with money, proximity to money, a passion for something. They start to influence people who are no, not in the business or not in the mindset of Pokemon. So now you guys look at it and you go, Hey, you know what? I saw some really cool Pokemon stuff. And I remember when I was a kid, I was into it. I didn't absolutely, I wasn't terribly all that into it, but I smell an opportunity because when something goes from, you know, $2,000 to 150,000, 175,000 in 10 years or 12 years, 
you can you can use your Scooby Scooby instincts to Scooby sense yep. to understand what's going to happen over the next ten. And the difference between this and sports cards is that sports cards is passed from generation to generation to generation. Grandpa or grandma, in some cases, collected. Mom and dad collected. You collect. Your kids collect. That's a hundred years of passing on this thing. Pokemon. Grandma and grandpa didn't collect. Mom and dad didn't collect. So the access to the biggest capital, the generational, multi-generational appeal is happening now. Now is the time. And so while I'm a little late, I'm definitely not too late. And that's why I see Pokemon as being a huge investment. And so is Yu-Gi-Oh! So is Harry Potter early sets. So is Neopets and so on and so forth. Yeah, so that's what I want to talk about a little bit, just switch gears. Like macroeconomics, we've talked about it. I've heard you talk about it a lot when it comes to uh, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Neopets, all those things. Getting back into your world a little bit more, you're heavily involved in the wrestling world, right? Yeah. Something I want to talk about a lot. I saw last night you were bidding on the on the Hogan. Um, okay. Just what what are your thoughts there in terms of like the, the vintage wrestling, the '82 wrestling all stars, you know, all those sets? Like, because to me that kind of goes against what you're saying. I, I I agree with you on the on the wrestling stuff, but it goes against the future future value buyers and all of those yes. people. So we can get into that a little bit. Interesting. Okay. 1982 Wrestling All-Stars. I'm going to tell you two things. A, I don't own a single one. Mm-hmm. And B, it's the most knuckleheaded move of my life not to own a single one. It's, it is the most underrated set out there. And people it's just It's the 86 Fleer it. of wrestling. It is. Yes, that's a great point. It, where, when I was a kid, I went to a card show in 1988. And you could buy a box of 86 Fleer for $5 a box. <laughs> It was closeout. It was meaningless. By 1990, they were $70 a pack. So a box was going for three grand. Okay. Now today, as we know, a box is going for over a hundred grand if it's unsearched. And mm-hmm. if you find an individual pack, that's not graded. Just don't buy it probably because you <laughs> never know what happened. But listen, the point is going back to wrestling. I think that wrestling consumers were so much into the figures, the action figures, which I've been involved with for the last 20 years, kind it of like AEW behind you. Yeah, oh, now I got it. Yeah, you see the AEW. I can, I can see him a little bit, yeah. So I got involved with wrestling in, in, in 2002, right after the whole uh, era uh, of uh, that, that was the Attitude Era, right? It was the big WWF versus WCW throwdown. And when I got involved to, to t- take over the toy and collectible business, it was crashing. I mean, it was the whole thing. And I said, you know what? And I had the opportunity to sit down with Vince McMahon. I said, listen, I'm 29 years old at the time. We should start leveraging the history of this thing. We need to give me the opportunity to go sign all the classics. And that's how I really kicked off wrestling. And we grew it to be the number one action figure line in the world by 2009. Um, We focused on the collector. We focused on classics. We had Ultimate Warrior, Bret Hart in Series 1, despite all of the issues going on between them and the promotion. And again, Vince McMahon at the time, he's like, if it's good for business, let's do it. Eat no matter what. Today, those cards, they've been so overlooked. The wrestling consumer and fan has always been into the figural stuff and not really into the card stuff. And I've been talking about it, but now I'm really talking about it. And I like last night, I came in second. I bid $20,000 on a card that's never sold for more than $4,500 ever. I bid $20,000 and lost because five people came in with $10,000 plus bids in the last 12 seconds. Yeah. Okay? Like, <laughs> I, I think people are misunderstanding how important wrestling was to culture in the 80s and yeah. 90s. Like, in this 82 set, there's Hogan, there's Flair, there's Iron Sheik, all these guys who are like, all-time iconic figures yes. like Amazing. Hulk Hogan Hulk Hogan is arguably a top five famous person in the history of U.S. pop culture yeah and, and yeah. I think and I think like there's a lot of value that people aren't seeing in those so when I saw you were bidding on that I was like that makes a ton of sense that Jeremy's in the mix there 100 and you know what it's a pop I think that the population of the PSA nine because there are no tens is like 15 and then there's some BGS 9.5s which I did own one by the way but when I received it, it had a little scratch on it. And I was like, this is not a 9.5. I, I bought it for $3,200 last year. And I sent it back to Probstein. I was like, sorry, dude. I was no like, 
was like, take it back. Just take it. <laughs> now I wish I could just like kind of have a fishing pole and be like, I want it back. Right. I don't care right. if it's got a mark on it. Yeah. Right. And for those for those not familiar with Probstein, for our newer collecting audience, the Probstein is a big uh, co-signer on eBay. They sell a lot of cards, a lot of higher end stuff. Yeah. For people who aren't aware. So just wrapping up, I think yeah. something that our audience would be interested in, and I personally am interested in selfishly, is where are you focusing your energy right now? You showed off those uh, different Pokemon cards. Yeah. Where do you, where are you thinking of in terms of whether it's Pokemon or it's Yu-Gi-Oh or it's Magic, something like that? Like where where have you been trying to focus your energy? So a few things that I've focused on right now are what happens what happened after Yu-Gi-Oh. I mean, what happened after Pokemon? So we know that Magic came in 93, Pokemon came in 99, uh, and then after that, in the US, and then after that, there was a series of things. So yeah, I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh! was 2002. Um, this is the Blue Eyes White Dragon PSA 10 English version. Beautiful. It's a Phenomenal. great card. It's very, uh, it's, it's again, pretty low population, very rare. Um, but listen, I, I like looking backwards and looking at some of the Japanese stuff that was launched with Pokemon. I also like the trainer deck series, mm. which actually hit the market right before the 1999 Pokemon. This was the test series. And these actually are interesting because they have red backs instead of blue backs. So this is a PSA 10 Machamp. There are six of these in the world. And the back is red. Right. Uh, this is sort of the, you can see where it says trainer deck A. Uh -huh. Some very, again, nuanced stuff. If this was part of the regular 1999 base set, at, with a population of six, it would be <laughs> 10 times the cost of a Charizard. But mm -hmm. because it's not, because it's it was one-tenth of a Charizard. So when you think of those numbers, again, they don't make sense. And over the course of time, things that don't make sense tend to make sense. Yeah, markets, markets become yeah. efficient over time. They do. Yeah. They do. Uh, one thing that I was just so pumped about, and I'm like, got my, my wheels turning in my head, is when you mentioned Harry Potter. My... Yeah. I see, I, I believe it's happening with Lord of the Rings right now that they're doing oh, good an HBO, with an HBO series. But I see, to me, Harry Potter was actually, you know, things for kids are written by adults. To me, Harry Potter is a much darker story than it's told. Yes. I see it as a, a seven season in-depth HBO, you know, 10 years from now, the rights are sold yeah. and it's redone for, to your point, the older audience that came up reading it with a little bit more darkness, the whole thing's about murder, a little sex into it. And I see a massive explosion coming from an older demo, Harry Potter retelling. Yeah. Uh, and I, growing up was a huge fan. And I, uh, to your point, see massive upside, obviously what they've done in terms of the parks and everything. So yeah, that, that's something I'm, I'm leaving here thinking about. Definitely. And it's a lifestyle too. Yeah. I mean, people like everyone knows what house of Harry Potter that they're from. Yep. I mean, it is an absolute lifestyle. <laughs> so yeah. just wait again, 10, 15 years, the kids that were 30 are now 45. Mm -hmm. Just wait to see what they put their money into, especially in a situation where you don't know whether you can trust the grander markets and yeah. uh, you don't know who's pulling the strings here and there. Yep. You do know that a card is a tangible object or a book or any form of collector collectible that you might be celebrating your favorite brand with uh and you know that there are millions of other people that might do the same yep for sure awesome so jeremy thank you so much for uh coming on here just wanted uh, one last thing before we go where can our uh where can our audience find you on social so you can find me on instagram at jeremy padauer j-e-r-e-m-y-p-a-d-a-w-e-r or twitter at jeremy uh jeremy com oh there's my look there, there it is. is. He's Hold so on. good at it. He points it right <laughs> yeah, I never got that right. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. That, that's age. That's age right that's, there. And it's better than yeah. us. Oh, man. Oral well, communication. It's all on exactly. yeah. Good stuff. Um, thank yeah. you, Jeremy. We Jeremy, thank you for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. All the best. All right, everyone. That was our conversation with Jeremy Padauer. I believe that was recorded maybe two and a half, three weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago since the airing. So probably been a, a, a couple updates. Um, and if we referenced any pricing in the Pokemon side of things, that's definitely uh, increased, I would say. Right coming off the back of that, I flew over to, over to eBay and picked up a, a Charizard Blueback PSA 9. So Jeremy, thank you for uh, the influence in making that purchase. Um, you can find Jeremy on Instagram at uh, Jeremy just like his first name, J-E-R-E-M-Y, last name Padauer, P-A-D-A-W-E-R. And uh, yeah, 
talked again a lot of macroeconomics, some IP stuff in there. Uh, but let's move over to the mailbag question. Ryan, take it away. Yeah, so our question this week uh, is from Chris. I believe it's Alamo. It's uh, Chris A L A I M O on IG. And again, if you want to, before we get into the question, if you want to submit a question for us to answer uh, on the podcast, feel free to reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Card Talk Pod or send us an email, cardtalkpod at gmail.com. So this question from Chris says, what's your guys' breakdown percentage-wise on buy and hold, basically long-term, or, or versus buy and flip, so short-term investments? I'm 85-15, hold versus flip. So I... So you hold 85%. I have no intention of... I mean, let's talk about... Well, actually, as always, let's set the parameters. What counts as hold? Is it two years? Is it five years? Is it six months? Six months. Okay. Yeah. So then it's definitely 85, 15. It's honestly probably higher, but I would say for me, I don't like to play a lot of games. I mess around a little bit with some like prospecting and some smaller stuff, but primarily for me, I'm buying blue chip safe stuff that I have no intention of moving because I think these guys are going to be top five players in their sport going forward. So I have no intention of moving 90% of my stuff. Ty? So the first thing that comes to my mind is like, what's your strategy and why are you doing this? Because I think there's a lot of different answers. One, it could be because I love the hobby. I have so much passion for cards. I have so much passion for sports. I make six figures in my job or I'm, and it's not about the money, right? So it's about understanding the market and having fun and interacting with people and communicating with them. Second. It could be, I am doing this to get away from a job that I hate and I'm getting paid less than I want, or I'm an employee, uh, I work in fast food and that's not what I want. I want to start my own business. I'm okay money-wise, but there's a lot of learnings that can be done here. So for me, that's okay. More transactions equals more learnings equals more failures, which is more long-term growth in terms of being a business person. I use that lightly because just because you buy and sell a card doesn't mean all of a sudden you're like a big time entrepreneur or business person. Um, but so I say first of like, what is your strategy? Why are you doing this before equating it? Because there's definitely no one answer that's right. For me personally, I would say I'm currently at a place where it's about 50-50 and it's going more towards hold in terms of like equity that I'm sitting on. But then again, let's not forget that you only get the value of the card on the sale, right? So yeah. a lot of things can change over time. And Michael Porter Jr., single largest volume play I, I've made. Definitely not where I have most of my like capital deployed, but I, I'm slowly selling him off as he starts to make more headway. The market rises. Like I said, when we first started recording this, he had 20 points at the half. I had two listed for buy it now on eBay. I've had them up there for five days and they sold. So for me, I'm in it for the learnings while also being able to make some some money. And I'm at about 50-50 deployment in terms of hold. Like Mbappe, I don't plan to sell until he is like the face of America when they win the 2026 World Cup. That's kind of my strategy Pulisic. there. Yeah, you but uh, you, you, I said I said Mbappe the because face of I think he, the face of of American sports because <laughs> uh, that summer of twenty twenty six, the face of American yeah. sports. Okay, that would be awesome. Rafael Nadal, like these guys. What I mean is like the talk of the summer. Lou looks so puzzled. No, I, I'm He's with upset. you. I'm with you now. I'm with you now. Yeah, that, no, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't mean it as like the face of American sports. I meant like <laughs> yeah. the talk of the summer. Got yeah, you. That's what I got. Right? I'm back. That's I'm, I mean. I'm back. Right? Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean like the talk of the summer. <laughs> Threw me for a loop. Yeah. Tyler. Um, but uh, so yeah, you can what what I was doing initially, and I'm having a hard time personally with like the emotional. We've had this conversation about don't get emotionally invested with Mike Krantz. You know, I've got a Kevin Durant tops Chrome that I bought at. 750 and i want to sell it a psa 10 yeah (laughs) and i want to sell it because i'm like i want to buy some luau sindor stuff but i'm like i only have one so i'm like i kind of want it when you only have one it's so tough it's it's tough you always buy three it's the worst unless you don't have the capital but back to like do you get emotionally invested or not 
for me, this has been a learning experience. It's no different than I was a big Apple fanboy. I've always been an Apple fanboy. I read Mac rumors. I invested, I bought five shares of Apple the day that uh, the iPhone was announced. Now I'm sitting on a lot of Apple and it's going crazy. And it's like, I just want to own Apple forever, but am I emotionally tied to holding it versus like selling on the upside and redeploying the profits elsewhere? So I'm in it for the the lessons. Right now I'm sitting at 50-50, trying to move to vintage a little bit more. So it, it, it's a more of a safer uh, holding of capital, but I don't ever want to lose the daily transaction. Daily is a strong word. Weekly transactions for the learnings that I can then go and deploy in my life elsewhere outside of the hobby. Yeah. So, so right now, owning a retail store, my flip versus hold is a little bit in the favor of the flip. I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm the highest in this this podcast in terms of flip i probably keep 75 percent and hold 25 and i would assume if you would ask a lot of stores i would i would assume that's pretty high for a hold um like we've talked about before i i genuinely enjoy collecting cards uh it's fun i would collect them if they were worth nothing at all so i i do like to flip or to hold things i think like lou said i I like to hold the guys that are sure things safe long-term plays but we've referenced this before with invest to collect. And I think that's a big thing for me is I'll buy a $500 lot, flip it for 600, take the 600, flip it for 750, 750 to a thousand. And then when you have a thousand, you can buy a $150 card to hold and then you can reinvest the 850. So I think that's, that's always been my strategy and that's worked really well to allow me to accumulate stuff is basically compounding similar with, you know, interest, right? If you start saving early and you compound for 25 years, you do pretty well. If you collect and flip four sports cards for, you know, a year, you can, you can really do a lot with that. So that's my big thing is flipping while you need the capital. And then when you have enough of the capital, you can afford to take smaller pieces out of the game that you can put long-term investments at play. And then like you're Kevin Durant, you know, if that card becomes so big, you're like, I could really do a lot with this. You you put that money back in play and then you're you're really sitting pretty there. So for me, it's it's about being smart. But like you said, Tyler, there's definitely a strategy to this. If if you're new and you don't have any capital other than what you have in, it's harder to hold when all of your asset or all of your, your capital is at play and you can't buy anything else until that, that money's clear clear again. Yeah, I think Ty, what you're saying about there's no wrong answers just like played itself out right in front of us, right? Like I am playing it like extremely safe because I'm safe like that. I don't like to mess around. You're doing it for learnings. Ryan's selling 550,000 things every four seconds. Like it's, Mm -hmm. there's so many different ways to play around and so many different ways to enjoy this. Yeah. Yep. So last, uh, last topic of this, this week's show is going to be weekly releases where we preview some of the upcoming product releases uh, in the hobby. Two I really want to focus on for this week um, are Topps Chrome Baseball, Hobby and Jumbo. That's going to be big. I'll let Lou get into that here in a second as he's a big baseball guy. And then also Gold Standard Football, which which should be the first rookie patch autographs in an NFL uniform. So I think that is that's going to be key. Gold Standard is typically a, a pretty big, pretty big release. It often fit. Uh, Include some some veteran guys, including Brady, Mahomes, guys like that. So should be should be interesting. Are they going to do rookie? Pa- they're going to do rookie patch autos in this. Gold standard has rookie. They're like jersey autos, How? Like triple jerseys, dual jerseys. Well, what do they you mean? How have they worn the jerseys yet? They're player worn. Hmm. All rookie cards. Photo shoot worn. All photo have shoot they, worn. They haven't so done it. The they fo- didn't do a photo shoot this year. Uh, what? Yeah, I mean the rookie premiere the player worn. Player worn, it could be in someone's garage. Yeah, th- that's what I'm saying. So I guess that's. Does it make any difference if it's on a football field if you didn't do anything yeah. in it? Kind of does. I know. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> a garage or a football field where you didn't play? It matters uh, a little bit, but mm-hmm. I know what you're saying. I'm just. I get it. it but yeah, with the, with COVID, the photo shoot got canceled. Um, but most of the rookie stuff will be will be player worn anyways. So anything throughout the the year. Uh, should be should be Joe Burrow was playing Call of Duty with his Bengals jersey on. <laughs> that might be that might be more exciting than what they've done before. It's not wrong. So yeah, that that will be cool. Um, but yeah, they'll have rookie patch autos in there, different uh, different uh, different stuff. But Lou, 
thoughts on Topps Chrome Baseball hobby, hobby and Jumbo this week? Yeah, I'm super into Topps Chrome Baseball. I personally prefer the paper card. That's actually something that's come up in the last year or two is like the Topps flagship versus the Topps Chrome. Historically, Chrome cards sell for more. But I think there's been a little bit of a changing of the tide on that. They're still pretty close. Yep. I think like Soto, last time I checked, like Soto cards, Soto Chromes were like 180-ish. 150? Ooh, were they that high? Yeah, like 180-ish and his, and his base card is like 225. So like there's, there's a little bit of a difference in price there. But uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Topps Chrome. Robert, all that. And so the only thing I don't know, and I think this is an interesting point, I haven't checked the checklist, but it will be interesting to see if Robert is in there. If he has a uh, Topps Chrome rookie auto, Topps, Topps Chrome will do very, very well this week. The way he's on, he's hitting the ball right now, same thing with Kyle Lewis. Both of those guys are are young rookies, and those guys sh- uh, could definitely boost that product. So it will be interesting I need, to watch. I need Topps update for the Joe Adele who just got called up today. My favorite prospect in all of baseball. <laughs> TJ Warren's got 27 points currently. He's really going off, huh? After, man. Playing some good basketball. Really playing some good basketball. All right. That is all we've got for this week. Again, find us on social at Card Talk Pod. Shoot us an email, cardtalkpod at gmail. But we will see you next week. Before we before we leave, the hobby the hobby matchup is set to start in thirty eight minutes. Ja Morant, Zion in the bubble, six thirty ESPN. Sneaky, should be sneaky. uh should be pretty interesting to see how those two go head to head. Their cards always been kind of, you know, equated with each other. You're on one side or the other. I think it's just a fun little hobby hoops game. And by the time you hear this, Matt might have edited it out. Hopefully not. Hat tip to Matt. But they'll Edited already have out. played and uh, it'll be sweet. So all the best. This has been a fun episode and hope everyone's doing well. Edit that out. No, no, that has to stay. That's got to stay. That's a wrap on Card Talk this week. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen and get notified when we publish a new episode. It'd mean the world to us if you gave us a five-star rating and shared this episode with a friend. We'd love to answer your questions, so email us at cardtalkpod at gmail.com and we'll get to it in the next episode. Card Talk is a 1.37 p.m. podcast and a Gallery Media Group original production.